The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts forever know His hope and sure salvation I will trust in Him Oh, the world falls around me I rest and know that He has found me Christ, the rock, is my Welcome all to Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, Pastor is an acrostic which stands for Preaching All Salvation Through One Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. As was stated in an earlier episode discussing types and shadows, when we study all of Scripture, we tend to see that indeed God seems to create all things according to a pattern which testifies of Him. As we continue to look and study the visible and invisible things of creation, we are able to increasingly see God's reflection to some degree in that mirror. When these examples occur within Scripture, we characteristically refer to them as types or shadows. We shall also see that ultimately, as with all Scripture, that these types and shadows point to the substance, which is Jesus. In this episode, we continue our study of types and shadows with the incident of Cain and Abel. Let's pray. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would open our minds and hearts to hear and receive the message of your Word to us. We pray that having planted the seed of your Word, that you would let the living water of your Spirit give life to grow and bring forth fruit in abundance from that seed. We pray that the harvest of our fruits would bring all honor, glory, and thanks to you now and forevermore. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Many people often have questions regarding the offerings of Cain and Abel. Even Christians may, without further study, have somewhat of a visceral reaction to the fact that although both Cain and Abel give an offering to God, God rejected Cain's offering and gave favor to Abel's. Without context, some would bristle at the thought that God was indiscriminately or arbitrarily favoring Abel over Cain. When all is said, it is an incident about which little is recorded, yet underneath which, potentially, a wealth of scriptural truth is revealed. The incident in question is found in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, which says, quote, And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him." Now traditionally, there are four theories offered by scholars to explain the episode of Cain and Abel. The theories are as follows. 1. God blessed Abel's offering over Cain's because Abel brought the best which he had access to, whereas Cain brought the inferior leftovers. 2. God blessed Abel's offering over Cain's because Abel's offering was mixed with faith, while Cain's was given without faith or was made by compulsion. 3. God blessed Abel's offering over Cain's because Abel's offering met the requirements necessary for a blood offering for sin, whereas Cain's did not. 4. God blessed Abel's offering over Cain's because Abel was obeying some instructions, ordinances, commands given by God to Adam and Eve, whereas Cain was disobeying. And finally, five, God blessed Abel's offering over Cain's because Cain took his eyes off God, envied Abel's offering, while Abel remained contrite and humble. Since the narrative regarding this episode is brief, without further study, it is difficult to assign any significant qualitative character or behavioral traits which gave either Cain or Abel preference. It would appear that we tend to grandfather assumed character defect to Cain given the outcome of Cain killing his brother Abel. But again, it is difficult to say definitively, aside from the general presence of sin, whether Cain possessed some character flaw. The best that we might be able to do would be to draw a few extrapolations and insinuations from the record given in Scripture. If so, let us ponder what deductions we might make. In order to clearly understand the substance behind the type, we need to closely study the type in question. Immediately after the incident of the fall, chapter 4 of Genesis opens with the introduction of Cain and Abel. 
Cain was the firstborn, while Abel was the secondborn child of Adam and Eve. As we initiate our study, the first thing we notice is the names of the siblings. Upon the first occasion, Eve gave birth to a male child. Having given birth, Eve proclaimed the words found in Genesis verse 1 of chapter 4, saying, quote, I have gotten a man from the Lord, unquote. Hence, it is possible that Eve attributed Cain's delivery and birth to a gift from God to her. Because Cain was the first natural-born child of creation, it may have been natural for Eve and or Adam to think of Cain in such terms of a possession. The name Abel means breath. Perhaps given Abel's premature death, the name Abel is a commentary by Eve on Abel's relatively short-lived existence. In chapter 2, we are told of each of the brothers' respective professions. Obviously, even though we are only one sentence removed from the record of the two being born, some unknown but considerable time has passed. At the time of this event, every commentary unanimously indicates that both Cain and Abel were adults. While by today's standards, any 18-year-old would qualify as being an adult, and any 30-40-year-old to 40 year old would certainly qualify as being middle-aged, the average age range of adults during this time was in the hundreds of years. As a result, both Cain and Abel might easily have been 100 or more years old at the time that this happened. Regardless of their ages, let's continue to examine our texts. First, even though Cain was born before Abel, when our narrative begins to describe the brothers' professions, the information about Abel's profession precedes that of Cain's profession. We are told that Abel was a shepherd, while Cain was a tiller of the ground. While there is no explanation to the change of narrative chronology, the change seems to imply a preference of the persons, the professions, or both, one over the other. Along these lines, whatever decisions the brothers made were made after the fall when Adam and Eve had been banished from the garden. When we apply these decisions to the respective professions chosen by Abel and Cain, there may be additional insight when viewed in context. To be specific, Abel chose being a shepherd, while Cain chose to be a farmer. If, in total context, we look at all of the possibilities of both these professions, we might realize several important things. 1. Because of the fall, God pronounced a curse upon man found in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19, which says, quote, Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you and you shall eat the plants of the field, in the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground." Unquote. The above verse illustrates that in addition to the curse of sin falling upon Adam and Eve and their descendants, the curse also fell upon all creation, including the ground which was destined to now produce thorns and thistles, despite having to toil by the sweat of their faces to tend it. 
This means that in retrospect, Cain chose a profession wherein he was fated to work by the sweat of his brow to cultivate, plant, tend, and harvest the land to provide himself and or his family. Cain would have taken on this profession knowing that he would be struggling against God's curse on the land. In contrast, Abel chose a profession raising and tending sheep. 2. An additional consequence of the fall was that Adam and Eve found themselves naked. You may recall the issue of nakedness, separation, and sin was covered in a previous episode entitled The Tree of Knowledge. As you may recall, as a result of their shame from being no longer covered by God's grace, Adam and Eve sought to cover their nakedness with aprons made from leaves. While this may seem unrelated, this fact may provide yet another initial clue to the issue of the rejection of Cain's sacrifice versus the acceptance of Abel's. However, before we continue to theorize prematurely, let us continue looking at the text. Following the disclosure of the two brothers' professions, we read, quote, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof, unquote. In looking at this verse, the first thing which deserves attention is the phrase, quote, In the process of time it came to pass, unquote. The Hebrew word katz is in this case where we find the translation, quote, in the process of, unquote. However, a more accurate translation would be at the end of, or at the conclusion of. In doing a survey of the use of the Hebrew word cats throughout the Old Testament, it is clear that the use of this word appears almost exclusively in one of two cases. One, the word cats is used in the context of time without end. In the second case, cats is used to signify an end or a conclusion to a very specific or definitive period of time. In some cases, the period of time in question is clearly known. In addition to our consideration of the language in question, consider the fact that both Abel and Cain approached God with their respective offerings. This leads additional support to the idea that, in fact, Cain and Abel were fulfilling an appointed duty to give an offering to God rather than it being a mere coincidence. In order for this comparison to work, it seems, both Cain and Abel would have been required to show up on a pre-designated date, time, and place. The next word for consideration is the Hebrew word pere. It translates in the above verse as fruit. In this case, the Hebrew word pere can mean any fruit or produce of the ground or any fruit, offspring, or progeny of the womb. It can also be translated metaphorically as the fruit of one's actions or labor. Continuing with our verse in question, we learn that Abel brought the firstlings of the flock. The term firstlings simply means that Abel chose the firstborn lambs within his herd of his sheep. This is significant because we need to pause and ask the question, Why did Abel choose to offer a firstborn lamb as an offering to God? Also, where did Abel get the idea? After all, at this point, Abel has had all the animal kingdom to choose from as potential candidates for the offering in question. 
Before we answer the question, let's finish the study of the above verse with the remaining words, quote, and the fat thereof, unquote. These four words tell us several things specifically and by inference about Cain and Abel. First, the fact that we read the words, quote, and the fat thereof, unquote, leads us to the inevitable reality that the lamb, or lambs in question, were slain. There is little room for doubt since slaying the lamb in question would be a requirement to produce the fat from the lamb's body. Second, the fact that Abel offered the fat carries the implication that Abel had the ability to withhold the fat as an alternative. Instead, he chose to include and offer the fat with the remaining portions of the lamb for his offering. This is important because as we learn from numerous places in Leviticus, the fat from the slain animal is critical to the offering since God states in several places that he is pleased by the aroma. At the same time, we should remember to balance the fact that the fat could and would have served as important commodities for anyone, including Abel. In doing so, we recognize that the use of the term, quote, and the fat thereof, unquote, takes on another metaphorical sense in addition to simply saying that the lamb was slain. Specifically, the use of the phrase, and the fat thereof, becomes a colloquialism like the fatted calf. It is simply another way to say, quote, unquote, the best. Ultimately, we might paraphrase the verse to say, Quote, not only did Abel bring a firstborn lamb, but he brought the best of the bunch, unquote. These terms regarding the age and quality of the lamb for sacrifice are later ratified in Exodus chapter 12, verse 5, leading up to the Passover. Third, by comparison, Cain brought the fruit of the ground. While the use of certain grains were considered as legitimate for offering, Typically, the use of such were historically reserved for those people who were too poor to afford larger animals such as a lamb, or in particular, a lamb without any blemish. This leads us to one of three conclusions about Cain. One, Cain was poor. Two, Cain was uninformed as to the appropriate offering. Or, three, Cain intentionally offered that which he knew to be inferior. Now, before we draw a conclusion as to which of the three is true, it is obvious from the discussion to date that it is important, if not critical, for us to know what, if any understanding, Cain and Abel had regarding making an offering. It stands to reason that if there were no guidelines or rules, or if the rules were unclear, then the outcome of God's decision to approve one brother and his offering, and not the other, would be baseless and unfair. Therefore, we need to find some information or incident prior to that of Cain and Abel regarding offerings or sacrifice which ostensibly could have served as an example. In this case, we turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, which says, quote, quote, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons, unquote. We must then compare this to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, which says, quote, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them, unquote. These two verses become key since ultimately if the use of any of the fruits of the ground or of plant materials, whether fig leaves or anything else, could have been effective to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness and shame, then there would have been little need for God to replace them. 
Instead, upon their first encounter, God found it necessary to replace the aprons fashioned by Adam and Eve with coats of skins. Coats of skins is another way to say animal hide. In order to have an animal hide, someone would have been required to slay an animal in order to obtain the hide. More importantly, notice it is God himself who made the coats and by inference personally killed the animal to obtain the hide. Lastly, while it is a fact that Adam and Eve as well as Cain and Abel had sinned, there is no indication that any animal had sinned. This leads us to conclude that God slayed an innocent animal as a sacrifice necessary to provide a covering for Adam and Eve's sin. There seems ample reason to believe that it was this incident which began with Adam and Eve's solution to cover themselves to that of God's solution of slaying an innocent animal to cover them which set the table for a conversation between God, Adam, and Eve. At some point it seems obvious for Adam and Eve to ask God, what was wrong with the aprons we made from fig leaves? Why is it necessary to kill an animal to make us coats of skins? Because this was the first sacrifice and death of an animal to cover the sin and separation between man and God, this incident became the teachable moment for God to explain the law and, more importantly, the reality of propitiatory sacrifice necessary for reconciliation. Consequently, this sacrifice type became the first in a series of ongoing sacrificial offerings between man and God, leading up to the final sacrifice of those types, Jesus, who offered himself once and for all, for all sin. In essence, God was for the first time demonstrating the truth that according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, quote, and almost all things are by the law, purged by blood, and without the shedding of blood is no remission. Unquote. As proof of this theory, even though the laws concerning offering and sacrifice were not fully codified until Moses' time, the complete narrative of Scripture makes it clear that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were the predecessors of Moses, were intimately familiar with the laws of offering and sacrifice. It must therefore be concluded then that there were verbal and possibly written prototypes of the laws of offering and sacrifice which originated verbally from God himself to Adam and Eve and continued until Moses' time. This being the case, Adam and Eve and later Cain and Abel would have, have all known certain fundamental basics regarding the laws of sacrifice offerings. For example, Cain and Abel likely knew the following. 1. They had sinned against God and they were now separated from God by that sin. 2. The penalty of sin is death and eternal separation from God. 3. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. 4. The one shedding the blood must be innocent of sin so that the one who is guilty can be reconciled to God. 5. The various rules regarding sin offerings were given by God himself to Adam and Eve just prior or shortly after being banished from the Garden of Eden. Now immediately after Cain and Abel make their offerings to God, we read, quote, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. 
Here in this sentence, the key word is shua, which is translated as respect. This Hebrew word is used many times in many contexts to mean regard, look upon, turn, or gaze. Alternately, the word shua obviously means just the opposite by the addition of the word not, or similar words as in this case. More importantly, several of the translated words clearly imply that the regard, looking, turning, and or gazing by God is conscious, deliberate, and intentional on his part, as opposed to the sense that God was simply distracted or inattentive in some more passive sense. If this is the case, then by applying the scripture type to what we know of the substance, the text here could be paraphrased to say, quote, God was drawn or moved to Abel and his offering. However, God turned away from or rejected Cain's offering, unquote. In the next part of Cain and Abel's play, we find the phrase, quote, and Cain was very wroth and his countenance fell, unquote. There are two key words in this verse. The first word, countenance, has the primary Hebrew definition of face, which is why the English word countenance is used to translate the Hebrew word. The underlying root word, however, gives better clarity by its definition, meaning to turn toward or away from something. The next word, translated as fall, then limits the turning in question to a negative sense. When the terms are translated in context, we can paraphrase our phrase in question to say, quote, quote, and Cain was very angry, and he turned away or from, unquote. This being said, the question is, what did Cain turn from? By logical extension, we must then ask, what did Cain turn to? Immediately following this, God begins to ask Cain a series of questions. The questions are as follows. Quote, why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? Unquote. Paraphrasing these questions in context, we find God asked Cain, Why are you angry? Why have you turned away? If you do what is right, will I not lift you up? God then follows up his questioning with his own answers to Cain, saying, Quote, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him, The phrase, quote, sin lieth at the door, unquote, can be also translated to say, sin crouches at the door, the way, or the opening. The phrase, quote, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him, unquote, is of curious interest. In this case, sin is personified using the word, quote-unquote, his. As we look at the totality of the last several verses, we can see God asking Cain why Cain is angry and why he has turned away from God. God reminds Cain of the obvious reality that if he, like Abel, would do that which is right before God, that Cain, like Abel, would be lifted up or accepted. Finally, as an alternative, God points out that if Cain did not do what is right before God, that this choice carried the axiomatic reality that sin, i.e. falling short of God's glory, stood paused, blocking Cain's path. Worse yet, 
God personifies sin, saying that it, in this case he, is crouching in Cain's path in an apparent desire to take hold of Cain and rule over him. This personification of sin on the part of God surely reminds us of a similar warning found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, quote, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, unquote. The next phrase in our study is, quote, And Cain talked with Abel his brother, unquote. While the phrase seems fairly straightforward, a textual analysis reveals that the Hebrew word translated talked has the implication that Cain was not merely idly chatting with Abel. Instead, the word implies that Cain repeated the conversation between God and himself containing the questions, answers, and the warning to Cain regarding his offering. As we continue, we read, quote, And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him, unquote. Here again, we find the phrase, quote, And it came to pass, unquote. As you will recall, the actual literal translation signifies an end or a conclusion to a very specific or definitive period of time usually known to those involved. The verse goes on to reveal that at this specific point in time, both Cain and Abel were in the field. The Hebrew word for field can be translated to mean land in general, as opposed to the sea, but the word can also mean a meadow which has been plowed and sown. The fact that our text finds our characters together in a field suggests three possibilities. One, the two were there simply by coincidence. This seems unlikely, however, given the preamble indicating that their meeting was at a specific time. Two, the text merely points out that our characters were on land rather than sea. This seems even less likely since even without the mention of land being the location, most, if not all, would assume events to be on land unless otherwise specified. Three, since the Hebrew word for field can be translated as meadow, which is plowed or sown, the fact is Cain and Abel were meeting within Cain's workplace, for lack of a better word. While admittedly this is conjecture, it is interesting to ask what if Cain brought Abel to the very place where he had labored intensively to plow, plant, and harvest the items in question which he had offered. One could easily imagine Cain trying to make the case to Abel regarding the worthiness of the previous and or up-and-coming offering by showing Abel the work which was involved. Whether or not this theory regarding the field is correct, the next Hebrew word, rose, means to arise in the hostile sense, to stand, to persist or be fixed. The Hebrew word against means to move toward or to move against in a hostile manner. Combined together, we learn that Cain and Abel met. The two began a discussion which escalated into an argument which led to Cain murdering his brother Abel. The only question remaining is, if they did have an argument, what was the argument about? In order to have additional information on this, we turn to the Targums. Before the Christian era, Aramaic had mostly replaced Hebrew in Palestine as the language of the Jews. Rabbinic Judaism translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Aramaic and included early Rabbinic and Jewish commentary regarding the texts. 
The resulting works were called Targums. We now have English translations of the Targums, which oftentimes provide valuable insight into the thoughts and beliefs regarding the Old Testament, which were present during the times and events of the New Testament period. If we look at the Targum translation of our Genesis episode in question, we find the following translation and commentary. Quote, Cain said to his brother Abel, Come, let us both go outside. When the two of them had gone outside, Cain spoke up and said to Abel, I see the world was created with mercy, but it is not governed according to the fruit of good deeds, and there is partiality in judgment. Therefore your offering was accepted with favor, but my offering was not accepted from me with favor. Abel answered and said to Cain, The world was created with mercy. It is governed according to the fruit of good deeds, and there is no partiality in judgment. Because the fruit of my deeds was better than yours and more prompt than yours, my offering was accepted with favor. Cain answered and said to Abel, There is no judgment, there is no judge, there is no other world, there is no gift of good reward for the righteous, and no punishment for the wicked. Abel answered and said to Cain, There is judgment, there is a judge, there is another world, there is the gift of good reward for the righteous, and there is punishment for the wicked. Concerning these matters, they were quarreling in open country, and Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and drove a stone into his forehead, and killed him." Concluding with the translation and commentary from the Targums, it is also vital to look at several New Testament passages which comment directly on the subject. For example, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, says the following, quote, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh." Unquote. Here, the writer of Hebrews, under inspiration by God, compares the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. The conclusion is that Abel's sacrifice was better than Cain's due to Abel's faith. As a result of Abel's faith, Abel is declared righteous while Cain was lacking. While this verse does not specify what or how Abel's faith was directed, we know that faith was the ingredient which was apparently lacking with Cain. Next we have 1 John chapter 3, verses 7-15, through 15, which says, quote, quote, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. 
He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him." Unquote. Here in this verse, John compares Cain with the devil who sinned from the beginning. Since in summary the sin of the devil was rebellion and pride, we would have to infer that by inspiration of God, John was moved to write that Cain also suffered from the sin of rebellion and or pride. If so, this by extension implies that in part Cain was moved to offer according to his own merits due to his pride and rebellion, rather than the simple faith and trust which was humbly demonstrated by Abel and his offering. This assessment by John also concurs with the warning by God himself when God personified sin as a quote-unquote he, i.e. The, the devil, who was crouching in the doorway waiting to overtake Cain and subdue him. Next we have Jude chapter 1 verse 11, which again references Cain, saying, quote, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah." Unquote. Here, Jude begins his epistle with the exhortation to true believers to contend for the faith, or for the doctrine and gospel which was complete. Jude does so because it is clear in verse 4 that there are those who have infiltrated amongst the church who are now teaching that the grace of Christ gives believers the freedom to sin, knowing that they can always repent. In verse 5, Jude reminds his readers that many people left Egypt, presumably to follow God and or worship God, however, many within that group later perished due to unbelief. In verse 6, Jude compares this to the angels who left heaven despite knowing God firsthand. In verse 7, Jude reminds his readers that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed along with the inhabitants due to their rebellion. In verse 8, Jude states that the infiltrators mentioned in verse 4 are no different and they disrespect authority. In verse 9, Jude points out that while these infiltrators disrespect authority, even Michael, who is the archangel, gave respect to Satan while disputing over Moses' body. In verse 10, Jude states that these infiltrators speak from their natural, unregenerate mind and have no spiritual discernment. Finally, in verse 11, Jude concludes that these infiltrators have gone the way of Cain. From verse 11, we conclude one of two possibilities. 1. Cain committed one or more of the sins mentioned in verses 4 through 10, or 2. Cain committed another sin outside the list which everyone was familiar with. If the first case is true, then we have but to look at the list and deduce which of the issues mentioned in verse 4 to 10 seem to fit. If the second case is true, then we must assume that the sin Cain committed was so obvious that Jude did not need to specify it to his readers. Lastly, we have Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24, which mentions Abel, saying, quote, And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, unquote. While this verse does not address Cain, it does clearly discuss Abel and his sacrifice. In fact, this verse, small as it is, confirms the premise that our type and subsequent substance thereof are exactly on target. First, we are reminded that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. 
lest we gloss carelessly over this, this verse deserves additional study in order to place it into context with the whole. To begin with, the word covenant is simply another way to say an agreement, promise, or understanding between two or more parties. Given the world we live in, the word covenant or agreement might well conjure up the image of written contracts, attorneys, courts, and litigation to dispute the merits of the argument in question. Given man's propensity towards sin and to go back on his word, this is understandable. However, insofar as God is concerned, the concept of a covenant takes on a totally different aspect. In short, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, covers the topic of a covenant with clarity when it says, quote, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and he shall not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Unquote. The second question which requires reminder is exactly what is the new covenant? By extension, if we have a new covenant, that logically necessitates the existence of an old covenant. If so, what exactly was the old covenant? The clue to the correct answers are given within the above verse itself by the phrase, quote, the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel, unquote. In an effort to save time, let's cut to the chase and interpret the above verse as it applies to our type and the substance. After Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated by God by that sin. The penalty for sin is death, and again, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the remission, i.e. forgiveness and covering, of sin requires the shedding of blood. The old covenant was a provisional solution instituted by God whereby he directed Adam, Eve, and their descendants to slay various animals as vicarious and substitutionary offerings to temporarily cover their sins and thereby continue fellowship with God. The specifics of the Old Covenant are progressively revealed throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. The various details and rules of propitiatory sacrifice serve as the types and shadows which set the stage and introduce their substance. In this case, the substance, as pointed out by Hebrews chapter 12, is Jesus. This is ultimately the understanding and answer to the questions posed by Hebrews chapter 12. While Abel provided an offering consisting of a firstling of the flock and the fat thereof, God provided his own son Jesus, who was perfect in every respect. Both shed their blood and gave their lives for the remission of sin, the difference was and is that the qualitative nature, substance, and effectiveness of Jesus' sacrifice was and is infinitely and internally better than that of Abel. The author of Hebrews makes the identical analogy in chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, which say, quote, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they are offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers once purged should have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. 
Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then say I, Lo, I come, in the volume of this book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all, unquote. In conclusion, when the entirety of Scripture is brought into context regarding this episode of Cain and Abel, we have a much clearer picture of the incident of Cain and Abel's offerings. We know that sin came into the world through Adam and Eve's lack of faith in the all-sufficiency of God's grace and covering. We know that Adam and Eve, and by extension, all mankind became separated from God by that sin. We know that God himself sacrificed an innocent animal as a propitiatory blood sacrifice to cover Adam and Eve. We see clear indication that God took the event of that sacrifice as an opportunity to teach Adam and Eve the fundamental laws regarding propitiatory sacrifice, which would remain as necessary types pointing to a better way, Jesus, who would reconcile man and God once and for all. It also becomes abundantly clear that Adam and Eve, as well as perhaps God himself, repeated this information, handing it down to Cain and Abel. As a result, as we enter the situation of the episode regarding Cain and Abel's sacrificial offerings, we must remember that both Cain and Abel were aware and understood these types not only as directives from God himself, but as functional duties necessary to demonstrate trust obedience and faith towards God. Hence we realize that as was pointed out in John, Hebrews, and Jude, Abel acted in faith and obedience with humility and submission, whereas Cain acted with disobedience, pride, rebellion, and arrogance. We see that Cain offered the works and efforts of his own labor and assumed that God would be impressed or moved thereby. At the same time, Abel brought a lamb which he had slain, laid it upon the altar, and presented it. In doing so, Abel acknowledged, trusted, and confessed in the existence of God, and more importantly, Abel demonstrated obedience and submission to God. When Abel presented his offering, he did so with the knowledge and confession that rightly understood were it not for the grace of God, by all rights he deserved, according to his own sin, to be the one who should die before God instead of the Lamb. By contrast, even before Cain made his offering, he had reasoned within himself that he could substitute the works, the labor, and efforts of his own hand as an offering to cover his sin. It is possible that Cain may have believed that he had no sin, Perhaps his parents, Adam and Eve, had sin, but that was them, not him. As a result, the offering in question was simply a memorial, hearkening back to something that happened a long time ago. Now that time had passed, 
Maybe Cain thought there was really no reason to follow such liturgical requirements. Rather than understanding the requirements of the shedding of blood and the consequent propitiatory death of the animal, Cain likely believed that the honest, sincere endeavors and the works of his hands could stand in as the currency necessary to buy God's grace. As a result, we see that even before the offering took place, Cain had had a very distorted and incorrect theological understanding of God and man's relationship with him. After the offerings were made, not surprisingly, we see God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Cain then became angry. It is at this point that Cain's rebellion comes to full fruit. Instead of simple ignorance or a sense of self-sufficiency by Cain, we find Cain's countenance fallen. And in other words, Cain turned away from God because God would not meet him on his terms. Despite God's attempts to remind Cain and have Cain take responsibility and repent of his own growing rebellion, Cain increased his rebellion. It is at this point that we find the interesting discussion and argument found in the Targums. This commentary supports the thesis presented thus far. In the end, Cain had at some point come to the conclusion that like modern day atheists, there is no God, there is no justice, no mercy, no heaven, no hell, no reward, and no punishment. Under this umbrella, there is also no meaning, morals, beauty, or purpose other than whatever subjective and relative definitions of the moment in which each person finds right in their own eyes. The end result of this viewpoint then, as now, is that because human beings are an accident of cause and effect rather than a distinctive, purposely created being made in the image of their creator, Cain, like many of his mindset, are able to kill indiscriminately without feeling or remorse. One need look no further than the evening news or internet daily report to see the result of decades of evolution-based education to see the result upon society. This then is the lesson and substance of the incident of Cain and Abel. Like Cain, according to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, where it says, quote, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 further states, quote, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, unquote. The good news is that today, like in Abel's day, we have but to place our complete faith and trust in the all-sufficiency of God's grace and mercy. Although we each are dead in our trespasses and sins, God has prepared a way by which our sins are removed once and for all, and we are reconciled to Him. It is not by way of sacrifice of a lamb, goat, or by any animal. Instead, as Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, quote, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, unquote. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, quote, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit, unquote. Finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 through 12, conclude the matter, saying, quote, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Unquote. Father, we pray that you would give us strength to set aside all rebellion and every sin which serves to prevent us from the reconciliation which is according to your love. We pray that by faith we would each set down the fruits and offerings of our labors and instead receive the free gift which you have once and for all offered on our behalf. We give all thanks honor, praise, and glory to the all-sufficiency and efficacy of the life, crucifixion, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, once again, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me your questions to pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh.